If you think Unfound Live is the best true crime news source out there, please support this podcast at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. On this episode, I give insight into the murder of Henrik Siwiak. I talk about the missing F-35 jet fighter. I answer a lot of questions from the viewers. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including how my fasting is going. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for September 18th, 2023. I'm wondering if anybody can see me out there. I might have to come back into here. Hold on, everybody. I think I know what the issue is. Hold on, everybody. A little technical difficulty here. I know you can see me or hear me, but can't see me. I'll be right back in a moment. There you go. All right. (laughs) I made a mistake and set it up. No problem. Uh, Everything is good now. I had to think about this for a second as to uh, why my face wasn't coming up on my screen, and I finally figured it out. Hope everybody's doing well tonight. And, of course, this is Unfound Live for September 18th of 2023. Coming to all of you, whether you are watching on Facebook or on YouTube. Actually got into a a discussion with uh, Dr. Telesco this past Thursday and uh, before we did our live show about if she and her crew were using uh, StreamYard or not, they don't. And I thought that was something that uh, they should probably look into. And in doing uh, the show tonight, maybe that reminds me that I am, um, I should probably send them a link to StreamYard, uh, maybe to help that all out or something. But got a great show uh, for you, uh, all of you planned for tonight. Uh, as you can see in the description, uh, got a variety of topics. Some unfound stuff, some non-unfound stuff couple, uh, you know, always uh, giving you a little bit of insight behind the curtain, a little look behind the curtain into my private life. And before we are all done tonight, I will be telling you about this Friday's episode, The Disappearance, uh, that we will be featuring. So all of you, if you wish to kind of um, read ahead, you know, you know, back in the day going to school. Uh, You could read ahead in the assignments, read ahead in the book, go to the next chapter. If you'd like to do that, uh, you will be able to do that. I don't know how many of you um, 
actually do that. Uh, I, I get the impression that most people, I think, probably just wait for the episode to come out on Friday. But I do know, especially for the people in the think tank, of course, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, I think many of them do end up reading ahead and uh, looking into the next disappearance that will be covered. So they maybe already know a bit about it before they ever hear the episode and how it's all set up and then the official interview and everything. So uh, we'll get into that. And on top of that, I have some questions to answer from the audience as well. Uh, Before we go any further, please remember to give this video a thumbs up. If you can give it some hearts, some likes on Facebook, give it the thumbs up on YouTube. We would appreciate that. If you're not yet a subscriber to the podcast, of course, find it on your iTunes app, Spotify app, whatever app you use and become a subscriber there. But then to this YouTube channel, uh, you have to be, of course, on YouTube to subscribe. And you can do that. And then if you'd want to take that one step further to support uh, Unfound, if you find the content here informative and, dare I say, enjoyable, please consider uh, contributing either through paypal.me forward slash Unfound podcast or hitting the Unfound uh, or hitting the join button uh, below my face here on Facebook or on YouTube, or go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And of course, also, if you are watching this live tonight, September 18th, uh, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern, you can support Unfound by hitting the super chat button, which is a little square with a little dollar sign. Inside of it, you can uh, contribute that way as well. So let's see who uh, all is in here, and we'll get this all, we'll light this rocket. Uh, Everything is first. Boy, that's been a while since you've been first everything. It's been a while. Good for you. Hello, Karen. Uh, Charles, what's going on? Charlotte, Lisa. She's back from vacation. Where did you go on vacation, Lisa? The Real from Australia, Charlotte, Jasmine. Uh, yeah, nephew Charles. And uh, it's, yeah, it's about that time. Mark, uh, good to see you. I think uh, you had posted a question right in the uh, discussion group that I will be answering. I think that was you, right, Mark? that I will be answering tonight. Uh, Assistant Cherie, otherwise known as Charlie, is the administrator. Thank you for being here tonight, Cherie. I did send you, by the way, a text. Did you get it? Charlotte, Kathy, what's going on, Kathy? Melody. And not the rhythm, but the melody. Hello, Deborah. good to see you. Good evening uh, to you as well. Uh, you should just know, anybody that's watching on Facebook, I can't see your names for whatever reason. So you just say Facebook user. So if you're getting in there. If you want to identify yourself, please do that. 
Uh, Hazel, what's going on, Twinkle? Twinkle, Twinkle. And uh, let's see what else here. Uh, Charlotte says we had a power outage. Oh, my gosh. Uh, did you have a, a storm or what happened, Charlotte? Marty, good to see you. Cindy. Cindy, hello to you, Cindy. Sarah. Uh, vacation was two half weeks of camping at a music festival. What kind of music festival, Lisa? Brandy says, first time watching. Well, Brandy and, uh, oh, Brandy, I, I know you. You sent me a message uh, today, uh, this earlier today. Well, welcome. Good uh, good to see you, Brandy. And Mark says, yes, me. All right. All right, before the uh, two hours are over, I will um, be answering your question, although I can't say predict when. Um, all right, so what's going on with me since you saw me last? I don't talk about it as much as I used to, but I'm still cooking chicken wings. In fact, um, I went and did a little food shopping uh, today, and I bought wings again. Uh, but I tell you what, if there's any food that I have mastered uh, since uh, over the last couple of years, it is cooking ch- chicken wings. I have absolutely gotten it down to a science. It's still a little messy with the oil and stuff splashing, but and I don't, and if you know, want to know, I, I'm not cooking in the air fryer anymore. That was a big waste of time. Air fryer is good for baked potatoes. It's good for making like, you know, the frozen, frozen French fries you can put in there. Chicken wings. No good. No good. I just... I must have followed like seven different ways of trying to cook them in an air fryer and none of them ever worked out. And so I, for the rest of my life, will just be cooking wings in oil and they are spectacular. So I have been cooking them going well. I had them uh, this past weekend. In fact, what I do now is I just cook all of them. And uh, put the sauce on and everything. And then I put them in the refrigerator. And you want to have a great smelling refrigerator. Just opening it up and having that chicken wing sauce smell in there. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. But I have been cooking them even though I haven't been talking about it for a while. That's something I've been doing for like three years. And if you're wondering... um, how that all got started. Um, you know, I've eaten a lot of chicken wings over my life. I'm a huge chicken wing fan. And it just got to the point, I think it must have been, I think it must have jumped into my mind somewhere in 2019. I think right around the time uh, my best friend Doug and I went to see Iron Maiden down in uh, Sunrise, Florida, like kind of near where Nova Southeastern University is in Dr. Telesco down there. And we went to a Buffalo Wild Wings to eat before the concert. And they were okay. But I can remember thinking at the time, I just think I can do better than this. And it took me somewhere into 2020, like during COVID, to really get into it. But I think that's really what set it off. In fact, it's gotten to the point now where I've gotten wings in restaurants like before I went to see who was it before I went to see Megadeth uh with the Misfits with my buddy Dana um 
we ate at a we ate at a wing house here in Florida, and they were good, but not as good as I make them. And then he, when he and I, before we went to see the cult, we went to a Hooters and I got wings, and they still weren't as good as I make them. And that's what you know. I can just tell. In fact, I can even taste them, and I know how the places cook them. That's what it's gotten to now. So I've become a little bit of a connoisseur uh, on cooking wings, and it's very simple. I don't get crazy, you know, too crazy with it. But uh, I, I just make like high quality, consistent quality chicken wings. And it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy doing it while it's going on. So some of you I know follow me personally on Facebook. Oh, Ed, you haven't really been talking about wings all the time. I'm still doing it. And I'm really uh, enjoying it. Uh, let's see what everybody is uh, saying here. Boston actress is back. Where you been, Boston? Where you been? Good to see you. Festival was bluegrass. Oh, no. Oh, no, Lisa. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, first time watching. Thank you, Brandy. Uh, I am the Wing King, Marty. Funny you should mention that. Jamie says, hi from Massachusetts. Huge fan of listening to all your episodes. Hoping to hear if you cover the missing woman from Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, you know, Jamie, that is a fantastic question. I will tell you that... Um, you know, if you're kind of new to the podcast, uh, or, or maybe not, you know, that I have assistant, uh, her name is Emily and she and I've talked about that. And my perception is that the family really is not doing any media now. I have a, a way to contact them. It's kind of on the back burner. But I have talked to my assistant, Emily, about that more than once. Certainly interested. It's certainly what seems to be an unusual disappearance. My perception, uh, I don't know anybody. I don't know the disappearance better than anybody else at this point. Uh, given the situation, given that you know she was in the middle of cooking or something and walked off and never came back. Uh, but it's certainly something that I've looked at. We've not reached out to them. Uh, I've kind of done a little poking around like on web sleuths and other places. And it just doesn't seem like uh, they're doing much media or, you know, at all. So that can always change. And unfortunately, the average age of a disappearance we cover on found is 22 years old. So if we were to cover a disappearance, it would kind of be a, a very new one. So we just have to keep that in mind that just because maybe people are not doing, they might've done some things like early on when she went missing, but a couple years in, it doesn't seem like they're doing anything that can always change, but I I'm very well aware of it. Jamie, that's a great question. And especially coming from somebody uh, from Massachusetts, I knew you're concerned about that disappearance. If uh, I can tell you this, we have a chance to cover that disappearance. We'll take it. Um, Charlotte Jamie is that lady? Uh, yeah, that's right, Charlotte. 
Uh, Twinkle, could you throw some wings into a cold pack container and send them to me? Have to put like it with the dry ice, right? Twinkle, can't you put regular ice? You have to use dry ice in that. Uh, uh, thank you for that, uh, Twinkle. You have to do a cooking chicken wing cooking video on nephew. Maybe would that, you know, I, I could, would that be kind of out of line putting that on the YouTube channel though? With all the true crime stuff, is that a little too flippant? I'll ask all of you. Um, I could certainly do that. And um, a wink to Toro Marty says, uh, yeah, everybody's talking about the woman. It's so puzzling. Uh, I will find, been working a lot. Boston actress says I've been listening yet. I never miss an episode. Boston actress. Thank you so much. Marcus, what's going on? Spleen. You might think this is gross, but I like wings from a rotisserie chicken in my ramen noodle soup. Uh, doesn't sound too gross to me. Spleen really, uh, when it comes to chicken wings, I, I, I just bought a rotisserie chicken today when I was out shopping. Um, but, you know, the best way for wings is to put them in the oil, fry them, get a mixture of uh, Frank's hot sauce and other things put together. It's so good. Uh, I'm, I'm just making myself hungry. Now I'm on this uh, fasting diet. Here I am making myself hungry. Um, yeah, Jamie says there's not much out there regarding the woman's disappearance in Massachusetts. Yes. Charlotte says, yes, you would think they would have found something. You'd think so. Lisa, Ed. Uh, Lisa, regarding bluegrass, maybe someday I'll play my mandolin for you and change your mind about bluegrass. It's not country music. You know what, uh, Lisa, like you a lot. Uh, you're a very loyal supporter of Unfound. But if you don't want to, if you never play your mandolin for me, I'll be okay with that. <laughs> I'm joking. Of course. Uh, of course. Um, it would be an unfound now episode. No, Marty. Well, it would um that that disappearance is a couple years old now. Uh thank you're welcome, Jamie. Um, you're welcome. T D, what's going on? Make a second channel for food and other stuff. Well, that's really all that I can do, T D. Um, Kyle, how to cook chicken wings better than anyone else. That's funny. Uh not flipping at all, says Shelly from Facebook. Okay. Uh, Shelly has spoken. And uh, Charlotte and Charlene. What's going on, Charlene? Good to see you. And uh, no offense, Lisa. I'm just, you know, I'm a little particular about my music. Hope I didn't offend you with that mandolin comment. And, and now that I think about it, I'm not even sure I know what a mandolin is. See, when I think of uh, bluegrass music, I think of uh, What, a banjo or something, right, Lisa? Right? I think so. All right, otherwise, what else is going on? Um, been doing my singing. I don't sing on Sundays and Mondays due to me having to... <laughs> uh, due to me talking. Uh, the The singing workout that I do really wears my voice out. And you've heard maybe... Uh, a couple of the live shows where I was doing the practicing and my voice was not good. And you've probably even heard a couple episodes within the last couple months where you could tell during the recording that my voice didn't sound right. I just can't do my singing practice during the live show. I can record 
like the episode, like usually do that on Tuesday or Wednesday and then do my singing practice after. And it's no big deal. But on these days, like with a think tank where I do most of the talking, all the talking for an hour and a half about, and then for this live show for two hours, can't do it, but it's going well, really, really excited about, uh, how everything's, um, been going. Um, and then finally, I continue to do this fasting where I'm only eating from noon till 8 p.m. And then I'm not eating anything from 8 p.m. till noon the next day. And I have to tell you, it's not that hard. <laughs> I might have to make it more difficult. Bizarrely. I don't know if that's bizarre or not. But I, I've been doing that for a week now or something, 10 days. And it's really not that difficult. It doesn't really feel like I'm uh, working as. Whereas I've done some other fasting in the in the past where it was challenging. This really isn't that challenging. Maybe because between twelve and eight, I'm making a pig of myself. I don't know, but might have to think about. They call it a twelve or a sixteen eight plan. I might have to go to like an 18-6 plan, maybe only between like noon and 6 and then go from 6 p.m. till noon the next day without eating. I, I don't know, maybe to make it a little harder or something because right now it's not that difficult. Um, Lisa says uh, she'll learn some metal for me on the mandolin. Uh, Lisa, would you happen to know, are there any uh, like rock songs or metal songs with a mandolin in them? You know, of course, the sitar has been used in a lot of rock and roll. ACDC had bagpipes. Jethro Tall had a flute. Um, any mandolin that you know of in any harder rock or metal music, uh, you might know more about that than I would. Uh, banjo is predominant. I was right about that. Marcus says, I had a couple questions about concerning Patty and Patty McDaniel. Do we have pictures of Ed Gross and Marvin Warren? Um, I know somewhere in all of my files, I have a picture of Marvin Warren, uh, regarding Ed Gross. I think I have seen a picture of him, but that I'm not as sure about that, Marcus. Uh, I would have to go back into one of my, um, external hard drives. Maybe I probably do have pictures. It's just that Marvin Warren, of course, Ed Gross is dead. Marvin Warren, to my knowledge, is still alive. Um, so it makes it, of course, makes it much more likely we'll have pictures of him. Um, but I think I've seen pictures of both of them at one time or another, Marcus. Uh, any particular reason? If you want to ask any follow-up questions, please do. Hazel says, what time do I wake up? It depends. Hazel, it really uh, just depends. Uh, for example, on Wednesday morning when I'm going over to Florida State College to speak, I'll be getting up at 6.30 in the morning to make it over there. On tournament days, disc golf tournament days, once again, it's usually pretty early. On the other hand, today, I didn't get up until about 9.30, but I didn't go to bed till after 1. So it just kind of depends on what the schedule is and what I'm planning to do. Uh, for example, the days that I go to the gun range... I like to get there first thing. It opens at 9, meaning I have to leave here at 8.30. So I'll get up at 8. It 
you know, it just depends. And what's the first thing you have at midday? Um, <laughs> not anything usually very, it just, once again, Hazel, it just depends uh, what it is. It, it really uh, depends on what I have here. It could be a breakfast burrito. It could be Cheez-Its. It could be grapes. It could be pineapple. It could be chicken wings from the day before. It just depends uh, what is in the refrigerator. It really just depends. Uh, Lisa's is metal in the mandolin. Not a band I can think of, but I heard some ACDC covers and not metal, but Led Zeppelin occasionally. Yeah, covers with the mandolin, right? And even um, there's those two guys, the two cellos, that do covers of heavy, heavy metal rock and roll stuff, uh, which they're, they're really good, and I enjoy that. All right, so let's get into the uh, true crime portion of the show tonight. And being that Mark is in here, I am uh, going to answer his question, and then we'll get into some news and some other things. Uh, and, you know, and uh, hello, Mark. And Mark, thank you for the uh, question. And anybody else, uh, you know, Marcus uh, here uh, wants to ask me some more questions about begging Patty. Uh, totally fine. Uh, you keep doing that. Uh, Mark asks regarding walk-off disappearances. Do you think more planned out in advance in order to avoid being located or are more spur of the moment decisions? How likely would it be for someone to plan out their disappearance, walk off, but remain fairly local and go unfound? Um, yeah, I'll guess I'll try to answer the first part. First, do you think more planned out in advance in order to avoid being located or are more spur of the moment decisions? I think what's uh, often hard to tell, Mark, is that person's state of the mind at the moment. Um, if we take a look, ex- for example, you know, we really can only look at um only look at ones for example that have been solved so if we look at a disappearance like Robbie Hurt i think most people are inclined to believe it had something to do with drugs that he had an overdose that guy originally you know uh originally brought him back to life with narcan and then allegedly you know and, and once again to this day this story is I guess bizarre. I mean, bizarre to me being that I've never been into drugs or anything. That sounds like a bizarre story, but people seem to believe it. So then Robbie gets in his truck and he drives off, goes that mom down the road. The truck is abandoned there. And then Robbie is found not too far from there. Now, technically I would put that uh, disappearance in the drugs play a role category, but Robbie on the other hand, physically, uh, walked off, but did he know what he was doing? Hard to say. Noah Davis, same way. Of course, in that one, drugs are involved as well. I am inclined to believe that he walked away from that where he was at his uncle's and that woman was there. They said Noah walked off and that bone was eventually found on the route between the uncle's place and where Noah was living at the time. But once again, did Noah understand 
what he was doing. Did he know in his own mind that he was walking off? Hard to say. So when we start thinking about planned out in advance, or are they more spur of the moment? If it's drug-related, then it's just totally, totally, totally up in the air. We just can't get in these people's minds. Um, But if you take drugs out of the equation, and if you're looking at, like, David Schrader, that's certainly one that was not planned out in advance. That was something, in my opinion, where he had lost control of his life. He dr- got, you know, fell back into drinking and realized, I think, finally, after he got dropped off by his wife, that he had made a complete ASS of himself and he felt guilty about it and he knew he was going to be hurting people. And so he walked off. So, that was spur of the moment done like within an hour. I don't think he planned to go missing on that particular day at that particular time. But I'm inclined to think more of the time it's more spur of the moment, Mark. If you really, really, really want to nail me down on this, uh, and I don't know how I would split this percentage up, I think a lot of this is more spur of the moment if we take the drug angle out of it. So then we have start have to start thinking about people who have mental health issues, depression issues, relationship issues, money issues, gambling issues, and, and things like that. Uh, and maybe, you know, staying away from the, uh, we're not seeing reality for what it was. So in that case, I tend to think it's more spur of the moment than planned out in advance, simply because if they're going to plan things in advance, would they really do that with other people there to witness it? Seems a little unlikely, although it happens. So I lean more toward these are more spur of the moment. And that's, I don't think me siding on that side is crazy because even when it comes to many of the disappearances that we've covered, we're inclined to believe that it was a murder. I believe most of those are spur of the moment too. I, I don't believe uh, a fit, at least you know half of them or more are planned out in advance. So maybe that kind of then all goes together, Mark. Now, as far as the second part of it, how likely would it be uh, for someone to plan out their disappearance, walk off, but remain fairly local and go unfound? Not very. And I guess it just depends on when you mean fairly local. I don't know necessarily what you're thinking, but we do have an example of that with Robert Hoagland, who went missing from Massachusetts uh, and then was found in New York, I guess, an uh, an hour later, uh, an hour away from there, not an hour later, 10 years later, but an hour away from where he lived. And that was certainly planned. Certainly. That was not something spur of the moment. However, as I talked about at the time when this was all discovered and Robert Hoagland's dead, and it'd still probably be uh, it'd still be a big mystery if he hadn't died, um, that he had help, though, unwittingly. People who helped him who didn't really know what was going on, people who were willing to pay him under the table, people who are willing to buy into the idea that he was being, being very evasive about his past, 
So it took a lot for that to work. Still, uh, I'm inclined to believe that he thought that out. I don't think that it was a uh, a coincidence that he planned. He you know he went missing on the very day that his wife was coming back from that trip. But I continue to believe that the the walk offs and you know remaining in the area and living, I still have to believe that is so rare. It has to be. So, so very rare. And although, although I would not talk about it publicly, there are probably at least a couple disappearances that we've covered on Unfound that I believe that happened. And we do have the example of Patrick Reed who walked off and was still alive. I don't know if he's alive now, but he was alive after the accepted disappearance date. Alan Glasgow, he walked off, still very local. Uh, Brandon Roberts, I don't know if he necessarily walked off, but he went off the grid or something. Of course, he was homeless, um, you know, and he ended up being alive. But still, that's, you know, we've had 27 somewhat unsolved, somewhat solved disappearances that we've covered on Unfound, and that's only three. So three out of 303 disappearances, that's 1%. And even out of the ones that have been resolved, that's three out of 27. That's one ninth. Pretty rare. So um, hopefully, uh, great questions. I'm not sure that, you know, I've talked about all these topics before, but I don't think that I've been questioned uh, quite the way uh, you phrased it, Mark. But uh, that's how I answer questions. Uh, if you'd like me to follow up on anything, please write it in the comments. Uh, let me see what, uh, everybody is saying and what's the, uh, the midday. Uh, okay. Uh, Mark is also saying in last Friday's episode, I wonder if Jesse Farber had done something in the past and was being blackmailed for it, possibly even by his brother, but that's probably a stretch, man. I got to believe that's, that seems like a stretch to me, Mark. And what even makes it more of a stretch is where this all happened in Tamaqua, Pennsylvania. If this had happened in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, in a bigger city, to believe that, you know, he walked off. I mean, it's Tamaqua. Where did he go? You know, if, if he walked off to move somewhere else, what exactly are we talking about here? It's, it's hard to imagine. Hello, uh, Facebook user. I just want to remind all Facebook users, I cannot see your names. Marcus, I just wanted to know what they look like. I never saw a picture of either one of them. Just, uh, they're, uh, I really don't know how to explain that to you, Mark. Just two guys <laughs> um, who uh, had shady histories and Peggy McPatty should have not have never had nothing to do with them. The problem was, if you go back and listen to that episode, that their older sister had known Ed Gross somehow, and that's how they all became connected. AB801, uh, good to see you. I know, um, thank you, Lisa, for the super chat uh, contribution tonight. Lisa, you are very generous, and thank you for the compliment. Uh, Marcus's last question about Peggy and Patty. 
When the girls made it to the truck stop, how close were Gross and Warren on their trail? Um, they 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 weren't on their trail. Um, Peggy and Patty were with those two when they stopped at the truck stop. This is this is something that I think gets confused in all of this. The truck stop story happened on the way from North Florida to South Florida. It did not happen after they got to South Florida. That's Peggy and Patty got to the Pompano Beach area, um, the Fort Lauderdale area down there with Marvin and Ed. They gave those two a ride. And when they stopped at this truck stop is when this happened. And, you know, we're talking 1979. I'm not – I have to be honest with you, Marcus. That's certainly a story – are, are we even sure, you know, how is that even proven? We have to start thinking of this in 1979 terms. There's certainly no video cameras. Are we sure we were even talking about the t- same two girls? I don't know. I think it's accepted that, or I don't just know how the police all determined that in 1979 terms. Could certainly understand that in 2023 terms. In 1979 terms of the technology and everything, I think we have to be at least a little doubtful if that's exactly what happened. But if we're to believe it, that was on the way to where they ended up, and they were there because they were in a car with Ed and Marvin. Uh, I kind of have a question related to Tyler North and the live stream you did with Dr. Lasko. How many people do you think were set up in your cases, um, more than a few, Jasmine. Uh, Tyler North. Uh, let me see here. I have the certainly um, going way back to the beginning of Unfound's existence. Certainly, Jeff Nichols was set up. Um, I think Brandy Wells was set up, The Art of Loring. I think Pamela Golden was set up from Arkansas, uh, kind of lured somewhere. Um, Lucinda Hules, that's a Tampa disappearance from the 1980s. I think that she was lured somewhere. So Dominic Holly Grisham certainly lured somewhere, set up. So we've it's not one of the more common types of disappearances. Um, Jasmine, but it's significant enough that we have to know about it. We have to understand it. And I always feel like, you know, when I bring a, a you know, for example, on Wednesday, when I'm going over to Florida Southern college, um, when I talk about the art of luring and one of the big questions is, well, how can this happen? How can people be fooled like this? And it's because people, um, you know, don't think that they can be fooled. And Tyler North, uh, you know, in Tyler North's case, maybe it's a little different in that he just got comfortable getting together with someone who he should have been much more suspicious 
of his ex-wife than he was, given that they were going through custody hearings and everything else. He was getting together, even though he was married and she was married, they were still getting together to have sex. That's a bad choice. And dare I say, I, I could even maybe be convinced that this is the reason that Michelle did this in the first place. She enticed him into getting together with her with the intentions eventually of killing him. So, um, you know, I'm just looking at my list and yes, I do have a database that I have on my other computer here with all the disappearances. And I do have them in categories for all of them. This is what I do. And so I can go through here and give you the, the type of disappearance I view it to be. So a few, uh, it's not as common as the walk-off. It's not as common as the man said. It's not as common. Uh, it's more common, though, uh, than, um, you know, a league of their own, these ones that are really, really, you know, out there. So, but it's enough that uh, it's worthy of being talked about. Uh, Deborah says, no, nothing gets better than hot wings and true crime. I agree. Marcus says, uh, very true, 79 was a different world. It certainly is. Lisa, former uh, guest for her brother's disappearance, Lisa, uh, Chip Campbell's uh, sister, Lisa. Hello, Lisa. Good to see you. When are we getting together for lunch, by the way, Lisa? We never have made that happen. Um, everything says you've blocked your room. We only see you, Ed, which is still good. I don't know what that means. Uh, blocked. The room. Uh, I don't know what that means, Sheree. Do you, you have blocked your room. We only see you, Ed, which is still good. Um, oh, I see. I, I, I got this filter on here that you can't, like, the, the background isn't as clear as anymore. Yeah, I know. I know everything. Um, and then Lisa's saying she believes that her brother was set up. Certainly possible. And Mark says, and the Steelers just took the lead. I was watching the Steelers right before we started. Boy, do they stink. Was Susie Lyle set up? Did her boyfriend ask her to get together, talk about the breakup, and he planned all along to hurt her? Uh, no, uh, I do not believe that that was a luring situation, Spleen. Uh, that's more of a situation where somebody was waiting for her. Somebody certainly knew Susie's schedule, knew that she would be getting off the bus at that time. Um, there's no proof that she made arrangements to meet anybody in the parking lot that evening, that night. So, I mean, it's certainly possible that, uh, you know, she, she stopped there and somebody she knew was waiting for with the, with the intention of killing her and lured her into the car. I suppose we could think about that. But I'm more inclined to believe that she was just uh, attacked, forced into a car right at that point without any luring going on, simply because of her uh, name tag that eventually was found in the parking lot. This tells me more that there was something that went on of a physical nature and not her voluntarily getting into a car. That's how I read it. You're welcome, Marcus. Uh, yeah, the background, everything. I got it. Uh, let me know when you're available. Let's when I do intermittent fasting too. We'll we'll get on, um, you know, uh, we'll get together between the times of noon and eight, Lisa. So uh, 
we can pig out. All right. I'll, I'll contact you uh, through Messenger. Lisa, I think you're now back. I know you got blocked for a while. Um, and I will contact you through Messenger because, yeah, we gotta we got to make that happen. It's been a while. It's been a while since uh, we got together for lunch. If everybody doesn't know, Lisa here lives in the Tampa area just like I do. And, man, it seems like we've gotten together, what, seven or eight times now, Lisa? It's always a good time. You're welcome. Uh, you're welcome, Jasmine. Okay. So a lot of good questions being asked uh, between uh, Mark's question and then Marcus and Jasmine asking me uh, some good uh, stuff. Let me move on to this. Uh, the Jesse Farber poll. The question was, do you think that, uh, hello, Mary, what's going on? Good to see you. Um, the question that I posed for the discussion group this week was, do you, do I think that, or do you think, do you all think that, uh, Jesse was on Sharp Mountain when he made the call kind of close in the discussion group? It was kind of, it was like, yes, was winning for a while. And then it was tied. And then just within like the last 24 hours, no, became the most common answers, but just by a couple votes. It's maybe a split of like 55% to 45% or 60 to 40%, something like that. So in the discussion group, uh, a slight majority, a very narrow majority decided that no, Jesse was not on Sharp Mountain when he called Rachel that night. In the think tank, if you'd like to access the think tank, become a uh, an important part of the process of what we do here at Unfound, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and sign up at the $12 a month level or above and you get, a, of course, a bunch of other stuff too with that subscription. Um, we were exactly the opposite. I think almost everyone said in the group that he was on sharp mountain where he said he was when he made that call, even though the talk about the coyotes and the guns and even he kind of switched back and forth as to where he was. Uh, we decided that he was on sharp mountain when he made that call. And for me, uh, writing the blog for, uh, Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Um, I also decided that he was on there and, you know, I had to kind of uh, go a little outside Unfound's catalog of disappearances to come to that reasoning because, for example, with Brandon Lawson, he was, he was pretty much where he said, even though I think there's reason to believe that he was on drugs and was not seeing reality uh, very clearly. He certainly was where he said he was. So he could be. So that's proof, I think, that you can be kind of spaced out. It's a clinical term. But then also realize that you're on the side of the road or something else. So physically and mentally, it is possible, I, I think, to believe that Jesse was where he said he was. Now, uh, and I see Rockford's always, uh, uh, I, I brought this up and Rockford's bringing this up, but what also came up in the think tank last night, 
and this is also a disappearance we've not yet covered on Unfound, even though it's still unsolved, would be the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. And with that one, though, you kind of go the opposite direction. And uh, many of you, I think, know about Brandon Swanson's disappearance, where he was driving somewhere, and he ended up calling his father, and he said he was walking, and he said he was in a particular location. And in the middle of it, he, uh, you know, he said like, whoa, oh my, and the, the line went dead and his father tried calling him back and Brandon was never, uh, you know, couldn't reach him and he's been missing ever since. The issue is that when they finally went out to try to find Brandon, at least where he described where he was, his description was nowhere near where his car was. So where he said where he said his car was and everything and where it was found, two totally different locations. I mean, not two totally different states, but someone who knew the area like he did would not have made such a mistake by accident. And in the call, it at least the way I understand it, it didn't sound like he was high, it didn't sound like he was having a mental episode or anything. But I will tell all of you, I think that that was a put on. I'm not convinced that he made that was an accident, him saying he was one place when he was, you know, when it's probably somewhere else. I think that was on purpose. And I also thought that uh, how coincidental, how weird or curious is it that he just happens to fall allegedly or something while he's on the phone? What are the odds? So I have to tell you the way I understand it. And right now, I don't know any more about the thing, more about the disappearance than any of you. I've never spoken to anybody in Brandon's family. Uh, in fact, I don't think we've ever even reached out to his family. I'm inclined to believe that it, that was a put on. That's me. Now, very well may be one of these days if I ever do get to talk to his family or friends You'll, I'll find out information that might make me think otherwise. But given the totality of the public evidence, I think Brandon Swanson was making it up. So in thinking about Jesse Farber's disappearance, you have to look at all of that. You have to look at all these kinds of disappearances where people have called others and said, I'm here and then when people go there, that person isn't there. And this, and this is why I continue to say disappearances are about people. They're not about circumstances. To better understand if a person would lie about that, the circumstances aren't going to tell you anything. You need to try to understand the person himself or herself. What decisions was that person making before the night, the day of the disappearance or the night of the disappearance, what was going on in that person's life? All of those types of things. So with Brandon Lawson, it does sound like he had a drug history. So it doesn't surprise me that that's kind of the way his disappearance went. With Brandon Swanson, what I know about him, a little bit different than Jesse Farber, a little bit different than Brandon Lawson maybe uh, made some better choices in his life than those two did 
So I then would think it's less likely that Brandon Swanson would make a mistake like that. So that's how I look at it. But yeah, that in Rockford is continuing to uh, type about that. It came up yesterday evening during the think tank. And once again, if this sounds interesting to you, you want to talk about this stuff really, really in depth, because as you know, we don't do theories on the podcast and I rarely um, give my opinions on uh, disappearances publicly. And I only write about them at, on the blog and everything else. If this all sounds interesting to you, you should be in the think tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Um, Marty says uh, he believes Jesse was on the mountain. Je- I think loss and disappearance is a good one to start to try to understand you. I think I, I totally agree. Uh, Marty says, gotta love the think tank. Thank you. Uh, yeah, except for me, Kathy. You thought he was behind the elementary school. Like I said, pretty much everybody. Um, hey, Ed, I'm glad to check out your channel again. I'm really busy, but I've loved binging your episodes. Yours has gotten so long. Yours has gotten so long. Good for you. Oh, thank you. RG, good to see you. Um, thanks for joining in the live show tonight. Uh, Mayor, I need to check out your think tank finally. One day soon, maybe it's still up. Is it still up and at it? Uh, it always will be, Mary. Rockford, would love to see you cover the Swanson case. Pretty sure that Swanson had at least been drinking. We have to consider that, and he had very poor eyesight. Okay. Uh, Mark, follow the money. I think the missing money had something to do with the Farber disappearance. That being the case, something still had to be going on in his life the girlfriend wasn't aware of. Certainly, and we got into all of that uh, in the think tank, Mark. Uh, very bad sign. You know, money starts going missing. There's a lot of different possibilities. Drugs is all, I guess, one of them. But, you know, we could think about another woman. We could think about a gambling problem. And even as I wrote about... In the blog, although I will not mention this person's name, um, I had a friend back in my Las Vegas days, this person doing very well for himself or herself. I'm not even going to reveal the gender of the person. And the family would guilt this person into this person giving them money. And this person had a problem of saying no. This person just too kind-hearted, etc. But this person eventually came to me and asked me if I would manage the money for this person. So as to keep this person from giving money to the family. I said, I can't do that. I deeply care about this person. You just do not even know to this day. Deeply, deeply care about this person, but that's just one of those things you can't do it. So I don't know. I um, never asked this person one question about this after that day. So I don't really know what went on even to this day, like 15 years later. But this is also something that comes to mind that there are families like that. If you start making money and here we are, we're not working, we're doing this, we're doing that. You better send some money our way. Could that be of it? I'm open to that. I think that's less likely than some of the other choices in Jesse Farber's disappearance. But I thought it was worthy enough being that I've personally experienced it with a friend of mine 
that I had to write about it. So uh, could be Mark Drugs and Money. He had all the signs of being a responsible family man up until the time that he wasn't. Yep, that's true. That is true, Mark. Very sad. Very sad. Uh, we might look at this as a situation where he had been manage, uh, managing addiction for a while, but there was just that one step further or farther. The camel broke the camel's back. The, the, the straw that broke the ca- Manage, manage, you can manage. You know, I guess it's no different than, you know, if you're going to drown, it, you know, it's that one additional water drop that causes a person to drown. It doesn't necessarily take an additional gallon or additional quart. You can only manage it up to a point. Then one more drop of water and you start drowning. Could be what was going on here. Could be. I don't you know. I think that's something. I think it's worthy uh, to think about. So that is the disappearance of, of Jesse Farber. In many ways, I think it plays out like many disappearances that we've covered. Of course, what makes it a little different is the phone call and the coyotes and the guns. And, um, but in, in other, we've kind of covered a, a lot of disappearances like that. Once again, you can see the generality is the same, and then each of them has their own particular idiosyncrasies that need to be examined. All right, moving on. I'm hoping, I think we had a really nice showing looking at the numbers uh, for Dr. Telesco's show last Thursday. It was good to get together with her and talk about uh, Tyler North, and somebody's already even asked me about uh, Tyler North and um, tonight. And so thought it went really well. I think it was funny that when I started talking about number two, relationships can be, a killer, she felt the need to kind of, you know, jump in a little bit that, you know, I, I never want you to think that I am bad mouthing relationships. I know that may be a perception given that, uh, I am, um, maybe more open about my personal life than maybe most podcasters, at least most true, most true crime podcasters. I've told you how I'm single, that I live alone. I'm a little bit of a hermit and everything else. And I think that maybe, when my people might get the idea that when I start saying this, well, you know, I have something against relationships. I don't, but, uh, I don't, but when I'm doing disappearance stuff, when I'm working on disappearances and I'm being on Dr. Telesco's show, or I'm going to speak at a school or I'm speaking, you know, it's about saving lives. It's not, um, you know, I'm not a relationship counselor or anything else. Uh, I'm about saving lives. As you've probably realized by now, disappearances aren't just about disappearances. I think that we've shown that over the last seven years. Disappearances are just one, it's the major topic, but we cover so many other topics and talking about disappearances. We talk about addiction. We talk about abuse. We talk about being bullied. We talk about um, infidelity. We talk about money problems. We talk about corruption. We talk about uh, law enforcement not doing their job. We talk about bad parenting. 
we talk about, we talk about, you know, there are a lot of different topics that are very important uh, to our lives when we talk about disappearances. And so when I'm in disappearance mode, when I talk about relationships, it's from the standpoint of you got to be careful. Now, in my everyday life, you know, somebody, even though I may joke about it, there's sometimes about marriage, happy for people. I hope it works out. Um, not necessarily my cup of tea the way I have lived my life. But I realize that being in very committed relationships have made a lot of people's lives much better. But I also know, on the other hand, that people have gotten in relationships and they're good and they start to go bad and then they start to hang on too tightly. They don't want to let it go. They don't want to fail. They can't believe their life is going this way. What am I going to tell my family? What am I going to tell my friends? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And suddenly that person's missing. That's what I also know. And I think that's kind of, kind of one of the unsaid issues when we do talk about the man said types of disappearances where it's easy for all of us. And I realize some of you have been in uh, bad relationships and bad marriages, and some of you have been abused and, and cheated on and everything else. And, and it's horrible. I feel horrible for all of you. But I also know being that we're all adults here, that sometimes we just get into things and uh, to put it in poker terms, we feel like we're pot committed. That we we just can't get out. Now I've <laughs> tell you, I've never felt like that, but I think I'm unique. That uh, you know, uh, I just have a history. If things aren't going right for me, I'm out. First sign of something not going right, I'm getting out. I'm not going to play this. Or what are we doing? And going? Are we are we together? We broke up. Are we together? Broke up. I don't do that. Ed Denson doesn't do that. A lot of people do, but I just think that too many people, I think you look at these relationships that we've talked about, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them were bad well before the disappearance ever occurred. Now, I don't know if we could say that necessarily about Andrew Green's disappearance the way we understand it, but certainly a lot of these other ones certainly is true. And, uh, and even, and then we get into situations like Tyler North or Jeff Nichols, where they probably did the right thing in getting divorced, but then they still fall for the same tricks and both those guys went missing. So, um, I'm not anti-relationship. What I'm saying is that. You have to have the courage to get out when the signs are there to get out. And two people just think too often want to try to, they're just things that can't be ignored. And um, there you go. So it was funny to me, you know, as you know, if many of you watch the Dr. Telesco show, she lets me go on quite a while. And uh, but she, it was funny to me. She jumped in right at that point. She might have thought I was coming down too hard in relationships, but at that point, I'm in disappearance mode. I'm not in Ed Denzel everyday mode. So let me see what everybody's uh, saying here. Uh, Rockford, the common denominator with Lawson Farber that really did meth. I think that's the driver in both cases could be. 
Uh, Lisa, I still have my out for the perfect one for you. Uh, let's not let perfect be the enemy of good, Lisa. I'm a Herbert a lot of these days, more so than you had. You think so, Hazel. I'd like to compare notes. Charlotte, my oldest daughter got mixed up with a man who was making meth, and that is why I have my grandson. Mary, same here, Hazel. Sometimes I get out of my comfort zones for my son, but that's about it. And Lisa, maybe Ed is looking for a mandolin player who grew up in Kansas and loves chicken wings. Look at you, Lisa. I see you. I see you working, Lisa. I see you working. The rough probably out there faster. I can't even share a TV remote control, let alone everything else. Shelly, hello. Daryl and I are back watching. I had surgery. We're watching because it helps figure our cases out too. Shelly, uh, everybody knows, uh, of course, that is uh, Brandon Barron's mother, Shelly. She was a guest a few weeks ago. Shelly, so good to see you. Thank you for making time on this uh, Monday night. Good to see you. I hope Daryl's doing well too. Uh, Sheree says, I'm anti-relationship. Yeah. And you should know something. Um this is probably going to blow your minds. You know, I've had some girlfriends. You know, how many girlfriends have I had? And once again, this isn't going to get, this is going to keep it PG. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. Let's just say eight. Let's just say I've had eight kind of serious girlfriends uh, since I turned 18. Let's just say it's around that number. And then there have been other women who haven't really been girlfriends, but you know what I mean? Would you know that most of them are still single like I am? Of those eight, I think six are still single. And this is going back, you know, some of these from years ago, years and years and 20 years ago. So that may be one of the reasons that I'm single. I, you know, when you're attracted to the same kind of person, you, neither of you really do relationships that well. It, it is a quirk. I, it is a quirky statistic regarding my exes that most of them, and I think they're all fantastic women still to this day, even though things didn't work out, they're still single too. So uh, that's something interesting for all of you to think about. Uh, so Dr. Telesco, once again, I hope you tuned in. I thought it went really well. We had a nice showing, the views and everything. Um, we'll be back in October. We're going to just do a kind of a general class on disappearances, I guess. That's what we have planned out. And then for November, uh, I think I'll just tell you now, we're going to go through the disappearances of Keith Collins, Sandy Hay Sandra Haley. I don't know how we're going to fit it into an hour, but we're going to try. <laughs> but that will be for November, the end of November, Keith Collins, Sandra Haley. It's going to be particularly tough because if you'll remember, that was a two-part episode and each of them was like two hours long and got into all the Colonial Parkway murders and everything else. And I'm sure that, uh, well, uh, Dr. Telesco and I will work out what we actually want to talk about regarding that. I would like to more focus on the comparisons between their disappearances and all the other murders or disappearances that have been connected to them, compare and contrast, and why I've come to the decision that they're all separate. And we'll see if Dr. Telesco goes along with that. It's her show. But the next one, uh, I think, is October 12th. 
So mark your calendars. Moving on, I do have, I'll be doing, uh, for all of you Patreon supporters and people who are in the uh, YouTube membership group that's different than a subscriber, if you want to be a member, you have to hit the join button below if you're on YouTube. Um, I've picked out the next found episode. If you're maybe new and don't know what that is, what I've been doing starting back in March, speaking of Brandon Lawson, I've been looking at disappearances that were eventually solved. So people or objects, I did the Titanic uh, a couple months ago. So I look at why the person or object went missing. Of course, the Titanic people went missing with it. And then I look at that time span between the disappearance and the discovery. And I think, why did it last this long? Elizabeth Smart, JC Dugard, Why were these people missing for that long? What went on over that time? Why wasn't the disappearance solved earlier? And then I get to the discovery. Why was this person discovered? Why was the tank, the Titanic found and all that went into that? And I call this series found and it's only for Patreon and YouTube supporters. And I've picked out the next person who I'll be talking about, and I'm not uh, not going to give it away right the second. Uh, the episode will get done within the next, I guess, less than two weeks before the end of September. But to give you a little hint, very famous person who went missing in the 20th century, and he was missing for approximately 75 years famous person went missing then was discovered over 70 years later so you can start wondering uh and it is a fascinating story absolutely fascinating so that will be the next found episode if that sounds interesting to you you should sign up up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And you just have to sign up at the $5 a month level for that. So, but I will do the same thing. I will examine why this person went missing, why this person was missing for that long, and how it all went about to the place that um, this person was found. So there you go. Um. Uh, Hazel says face pur- purple crying. That's funny. I guess I'm in the minority here. Happily married for 12 years. Good for you, Spleen. You know, Spleen, most of my friends are married. My brothers and my sister married. Um, I, I, you know, you, you know, most of the, the people that I disc golf with, uh, married. You know, I, you know, not, I don't know a lot of single people. Uh, everybody, what everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody on my trivia team on Thursday nights married. Hazel, oh my God, uh, JC was my first entry into the missing. I was elated when she was found. Yeah. I talked about that for a found episode. I looked at why she went missing, why she was missing for all those years and how she was found Rockford. If you're uh, Kaylee call Haley theory is right. And I think it is. 
I can't get over how unlucky he was. Imagine being on a date, not being into the girl and getting killed because you're with her. Unbelievable. I agree. I'm not, don't know if I want to get too publicly into what I think was Rockford saying here, but I agree. It's, it's one of those things, Rockford, where as, as you've heard me talk about, and you know, we've had a lot of uh, messages back and forth emails, you know, especially recently, and even in the think tank is that if you don't know about disappearances, then if you don't understand them, if you can't, if you don't have the ability to access a catalog in your brain of disappearances that have been solved and are unsolved, then you're going to encounter a lot of issues in a new disappearance that are going to be very, very strange to you. And you're not going to understand them. Whereas if you have a catalog, and I'm not saying it needs to be 300 disappearances like Unfound is covered. I'm not even sure it needs to be 100. Let's just say it needs to be more than 20. Let's say pick out a number. But if you know that 20 or 30 disappearances really well, both a combination of ones that have been solved, ones that have been unsolved, and you can go right to them in your mind like a Rolodex showing my age and think about, well, this is probably the reason they went missing. This is why it was solved. This is If you can access that stuff, when you come back and look at a disappearance like Keith Call and Sandra Haley, it's all there. It's all there. It's right there. It's right there. The problem we have is nobody who is in an official government position to look at these disappearances has that. And dare I say they might not want to have that. They're not interested in that. It's not worth their time and, and everything else. Whereas in other parts of law enforcement, The reason that car thefts get solved is because the people who work on car thefts know a lot about car thefts, especially in big cities. They have car theft people who specialize in that, and they can look at the types of cars that were stolen, where the cars were stolen, how it was probably done and everything, and go solve these and maybe find the car before it's parted out, before it gets in a storage compartment and sent to South America or the Middle East where a lot of of these cars end up. And they can stop these things happen, but why? Because they have prior experience that they can tap into. They don't even need to go to a computer. They just have it right in their head. Same way with murders. You get to, if you have experience as a homicide investigator for 10 years, you can show up at a murder and automatically know what to look for, what to do. And probably there's really going to be nothing that's really going to surprise you. We don't have that in missing persons. We don't, we don't have that. We don't, it's not, that's not how missing, that's not how missing persons cases are treated. It would be like, you know, and, and, and it's outrageous how we, you know, we would never do medicine this way. You know, how would you feel if every time you went to your doctor, it was like the first time? You know, what, how would, uh, how good do you think healthcare would be in the world if doctors did not have a catalog and all this information to access regarding cancer. Uh, and every time they came in with somebody, it was, well, hey, doctor, I got this lump. And every doctor would say, well, I just really don't know what that is. I mean, where would we be? 
But this is what goes on in disappearances, and just too many people are, are satisfied with that. This is not the way to make progress. Um, so when it comes back to Rockford bringing uh, Keith Kahn and Sandra Haley up, this is why I think that just kind of went past. I also think there might have been some biasy going on, given what we're talking about here, Rockford, given this particular suspect's stature in the area, dare I say. But um, it's all right there if anybody wants to see it. Joyce was a miracle case for sure. JC was a miracle. Yeah, yeah. I was purposely vague on the theories, but speaking of relationships, I've been on plenty of bad dates, but that one takes the cake. Not making light of it all. It's just crazy. Yeah. So um, there you go. I want to get to um, some stories. Uh, one more thing. I kind of already mentioned it. Wednesday morning. Uh, people, somebody, was it you, Hazel, that was asking or somebody was asking me, what time do I get up in the morning? I've already said on thir- uh, Wednesday morning, I'll be getting up at 6.30 in the morning, mainly because to get to Florida Southern College, I have to go right through Tampa to get there. And so I have to leave earlier than I usually would just to make sure I don't get caught up in some jam or some wreck in front of me or something like that. It takes me an hour and a half to get over to Lakeland. I'm not due to uh, the class starts, I think, 930 or something, but I'll be leaving here at like seven. I'll probably, you know, if everything goes right, I'll get there like an hour early, but I don't want to be late. So Florida Southern College on Wednesday morning, I do plan to video it and put it up for anybody who uh, wants to watch or listen to how I, I know I've done that before, but. Um, I've tweaked a few things this time. Um, that will be on Wednesday morning. I'll video it and probably I will post it sometime later on Wednesday. And some of the things I'm talking about here, I'll be talking to the students about that as well. About the problems that go along with investigating disappearances on and on and on. All right. Uh, I want to talk, being that uh, Rockford's in here, uh, I do want to talk about something that came up last week that uh, I think all of you uh, might be interested in. And uh, last for last week, Rockford, being that it was September 11th, um, talking about Snea Phillips who went missing on 9-11. I think it was you, Rockford, that brought up the, the murder of Henry Siwiak, S-I-W-I-A-K, And I ended up looking that up, and since then, Rockford and I uh, have had a pretty good back and forth about, you know, how do you analyze that murder? How do you make sense of it? What to think about it? And really, you know, I think I had heard about it. I don't know if the name, Henry Siwiak, Henrik, Henrik, not Henry, Henrik Siwiak. Uh, registered in my mind, but I do remember being there was something about a murder that had happened in New York City on 9-11. Well, I did take some time uh, since last Monday to more familiarize myself, and I know some of you uh, do know about it. I just want to give some additional insights into it, and it has its own Wikipedia page, so it's fairly popular. 
But for anybody who is not familiar, I'm just going to read a very, very um, couple paragraphs from Wikipedia and then get into a little bit of my analysis that might be a little different than anything that uh, you've maybe heard elsewhere. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because Rockford, who certainly knows more about the murder than I do, I think Rockford, maybe, you know, some things I had to say about the gun and everything, uh, maybe was a little new. So maybe everybody else wants to hear it too. So on uh, shortly before midnight on September 11th, 2001, Henrik Siwiak, a Polish immigrant, was fatally shot on a street in the Bedford Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York, where he had mistakenly gone in order to start a new job. He was able to make it to the door of a nearby house. Before he collapsed, the homicide remains unsolved, and this is in 2023. Siwiak had been described as the last person killed in New York on 9-11, although his death was unrelated to the terror attacks earlier that day. The initial investigation into the crime may have been hampered, police believe, by the diversion of law enforcement resources in the city in the wake of that day's terrorist attacks, which ultimately killed almost 3,000 people. Since Siwiak was not robbed, wore camouflaged clothing, and spoke poor English with a heavy accent, detectives have speculated that his killer may have thought he had something to do with the attacks. Siwiak's homicide is the only one recorded in New York City on September 11, 2001, since the city does not include the deaths from the attacks in its official crime stats. All right, and once again, if you go to the Wikipedia page, and I know that it's probably been podcasts, and YouTube series and everything written, done about it. But if you want to just do the short version, you can just go to Wikipedia. I'm not saying every, absolutely every piece of information on Wikipedia is right, but that'll give you an idea. But I'm going to go, and it's like I said, it's a long page. I just want to skip down to this because this is what caught my eye. And the reason it caught my eye is because I am kind of a gun person. I know a lot about guns. I watch a lot of gun videos. I wouldn't say I'm a gun fanatic, but, you know, being that I've been a gun owner since 2016, I think part of that, uh, if you're going to own something like that, is to be a responsible gun owner. And so to be versed in what's going on out there regarding shootings, regarding ownership, and, you know, what can we learn from other people who've got into shootouts and defending themselves – I'm a big guy into that. That's what I believe it. You know, there's nothing more that ticks me off that somebody who goes, I have a right to be a gun owner, but then never goes to the gun range, never, you know, you know, just buys a gun and say, Hey, I'm a gun owner. Look at me. Don't get me started. So, um, this is what caught my eye and I will try to explain some of this to you. I'm not saying you need to be pro gun or anti gun, but, uh, if we're trying to solve this murder, which is still unsolved 22 years later, maybe this is something to think about. The evidence collection technicians were able to retrieve spent shell casings from a 40 caliber handgun that was fired at Siwiak. The shooter had fired seven times, but hit him only once. In Siwiak's wallet was $75 in cash, suggesting that the robber had not robbery had not been the motive or that had been or that had it had been botched. Like somebody tried to do this, 
had to shoot Henrik and then got scared and ran off. That's, you know, either this was just some random shooting person didn't care about money or any possessions, or it was a robbery. And man, I had to shoot this guy. I got to take off one of the, this is the way the police are thinking about this, at least at the time. I don't know what they're thinking now. So what does this, should this mean to all of you? Now you should know. I watch a lot of videos on shootings, not because I'm fascinated with people getting killed, but how do people get into situations where they have to defend themselves? What exactly happens when a robber shows up at a 7-Eleven with a gun and what to do, what not to do? If you're walking along the street and somebody comes up with you a gun, what to do and what not to do? I've watched, I've watched easily a thousand videos on that YouTube, easily. Because once again, I'm a gun owner. I think it's my responsibility to understand these things. It's my understanding. It's my job. It's my responsibility to know the legalities of all of this. What can you do? What can't you do? Very important to me as a gun owner. And I think it should be that way to every gun owner, even though I know it's not. But here's here's some of the things that I've learned in watching a lot of videos where people have gotten shot, both good people and bad people. What first sticks out to me is seven shots and only getting hit once. What this usually means is that this is certainly not a situation where Henrik was standing on the sidewalk and the person was standing right in front of him with the person or other people. You know, we don't, you know, I know there was allegedly a witness who saw a group, but nobody actually saw the shooting, might have heard it but didn't see it. Usually when you hear about so many shots being fired, but only one hitting the victim, I don't care if it's a good guy shooting a bad guy or a bad guy shooting good guy or woman or whatever. Good person shooting bad person, bad person shooting good person. With only one shot out of seven hitting somebody, that usually is a sign, first of all, somebody's not a very good gun owner. It's usually an indication of fear. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is that I haven't heard anybody say that Henrik had a gun on him or any weapon on him. So if this person was such a bad, I mean, only hitting one out of seven is horrible, horrible shooting in close quarters, which this had to have been probably. So, um, yeah, uh, very everything that could grow did go wrong. Certainly, Rockford, I read that. Yes. So we have to keep that in mind. These tech, to me, these these are the kind of technicalities that are important. It's just not a shooting. It's important to look at the shooting. How many bullets were fired? What kind of gun was used? And everything else. One out of seven is bad. Usually indicates a fear. It usually means that somebody isn't really even aiming. They're just firing until there are no bullets in the gun. That's what it usually means when you see something like that. In contrast to if this would have been three shots fired and all three hit the guy, that's something totally different. Then we're talking about uh, uh, somebody who certainly doesn't have a lot of fear, who is probably close Probably had two cans on the gun, on and on and on. Then we start thinking about a much um, 
you know, more, much more skilled shooter. In addition, given that Henrik was able to crawl somewhere, it means he wasn't hitting the head. So once again, we have to start thinking, how close was this shooting? But this was not an execution. Seven shots and only hitting one. This was not some execution where he came up on a bunch of people, they made him get on his knees, and they shot him. If that was the case, there just would have been one shot, and that would have been it. Or it would have been two or three shots, and all of them would have hit him. But it was one out of seven. Very important to me. The other part, and this is kind of more of what uh, Rockford and I got into, and I was—I have to admit I was a little surprised with some of the statistics that Rockford found on this, but then maybe kind of it evened out with what I sh- uh, found out about uh, New York State in particular. Um, if you go to the ATF website, they will tell you, you can look up crime statistics in the United States regarding guns. And one of the statistics you will find is they keep stats on gun crime and what kinds of guns are used, not the calibers that are used. And the caliber, if you're unfamiliar, is the diameter of the bullet. That is the caliber. So you have 9 millimeter, 357, which is in inches. You have 10 millimeter. You have 40 caliber, which is back to the English system. Uh, You have 22, which is the English system, on and on and on. All of you should understand that 40 caliber is not even close to the most popular caliber in the United States. In fact, when it comes to gun calibers in the gun world, it is a relatively new caliber to the world, not just in the United States. It was invented in the United States, but it's only been invented within the, like the last 35 years. Whereas when you look at 22s or 45s or 357s or even 9 millimeters. I mean, they go way back, way back. And I don't know if I really want to get into the, the complete history of 40 caliber. But what happened was the FBI for a long time was using snub nose, uh, you know, 38s, like a lot of police departments were. And then there was a bad shooting where a lot of agents got uh, killed. And they thought, well, we got to have more firepower. And they went up to 10 millimeter, which is a very powerful handgun. And what ended up happening was that some of their agents just were not comfortable shooting that caliber. But they didn't want to go back to like 9 millimeter because at the time they thought that 9 millimeter in like the 1980s wasn't powerful enough. It was like even if going back to like 38 special or something. So that is how 40 caliber got invented. It was a compromise between 9 millimeter and 10 millimeter. And so it's in between. It's more powerful than 9 millimeter, but not as powerful as 10 millimeter. So it's only been around for like 35 years. And it did gain acceptance. And as Rockford showed in some of the information that he showed me, When it comes to gun crimes, at least in 2021, as I think the statistics that we had, it showed that as far as gun crimes in the United States, 40 caliber is the second most common caliber. 
But there's a caveat. It is second place, but first place, which is nine millimeter, is way, way, way ahead. Most gun crimes, when guns are traced and they take guns off of uh, criminals for what all sorts of different crimes, it doesn't have to be murder, that overwhelmingly it is 9mm, and nobody who knows anything about guns should be surprised by that. But how big of a difference? It's like 9mm is like six times more popular. Hello, Valerie. Six times more popular. Now, what's interesting, though, you can go state by state. And in the state of New York, where Henrik was shot, 40 caliber is not second. It's fourth. So it goes uh, nine millimeter, and then it's like 38, then 22, and then 40 caliber. And just so you know how much we're common, you could add up all of the crimes committed with the second, third, fourth, and fifth calibers in New York, state of New York, and they don't add up to nine millimeter. That is how far nine millimeter is far ahead. And that's true across all states in the union. Nine millimeter is common. Nine millimeter is the most common ammunition sold. In the United States, the most common gun sold, and you could say that about other some you know a lot of other countries as well. So, taking this back to Henrik's murder, he was murdered by somebody with a forty caliber gun in two thousand one. Now I don't know what the stats were, the crime stats were back then, but given that forty caliber at least here in 2023 is the fourth most fourth most used in New York what i was telling rockford is that um and we have to remember also that new york is a state uh that's fairly restrictive on guns and certainly new york city itself is very 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 restrictive on guns. Good luck trying to get a uh, permit to carry in that city. Good luck. To think, so what we're saying here is on September 11th, Henrik happened to run into somebody in the New York City limits who was carrying a 40 caliber pistol, a very uncommon caliber for criminals in New York City, and only got shot by one of seven bullets. Now, here's what something else I will tell you about 40 caliber. As I was, t- once again, as I was telling Rockford, I go to the gun range. Uh, I'm a member of a local gun range here. I can't remember the last time I was on the firing line standing by somebody shooting 40 caliber. Can't remember it. I shoot. I I have nine millimeter pistols. I have a nine millimeter uh, Caltech Sub Two Thousand. In contrast, what do I see? Other nine millimeters. I see a lot of twenty two shooting, very tiny uh, bullet twenty twos, and I see guys shooting five five six, which is essentially the round that are in ARs. Those are the most common 
calibers I see. Nine millimeter, maybe some 38 special, like for older people, uh, because it doesn't have as much recoil and these people tend to be more into revolvers. I can't remember the last time I stood stood next to somebody using 40 caliber. So there's that. Somehow Henrik ran into this person on 9-11 with a very unusual gun being shot at by somebody who obviously isn't a very good shooter. The problem is my experience also, though, with 40 caliber is that if somebody does have a 40 caliber gun, 40 caliber is not a gun for a beginner. Nine millimeter might be 22, 38, 40 caliber is usually for two types of people. Even either one who is really skilled with guns or a, maybe a criminal who will just take anything that he or she can get. And I had to admit to Rockford, and I'm not here to go to Cookville or anything, but when I think 40 million or 40 caliber, I automatically think police. Now you should know something else though. 40 caliber was more popular in 2001 than it is now. The reason that is, is that nine millimeter has continued to gain in popularity over the last 20 years. And plus to buy the ammo is a lot cheaper than 40 caliber. 40 caliber is more expensive. And even in police departments, more and more of them are going to nine millimeter once again, because nine millimeter is a lot better than it was 20, 25 years ago. The, um, it's more powerful. It's a lot of engineering that's been done with nine millimeter and 40 caliber has kind of become, you know, you know, the, the, the caliber that's out there and people have the guns and everything, but it is not as popular as it used to be. Now, what was it? It was probably more popular in 2001 than it is now. So what I got out of all of this was my belief is this. Given that it's such a rare caliber, given that the shooting itself was not very good, one out of seven. Uh, I said, if you can find other crimes committed with 40 caliber in the same area, you could maybe even pick all in New York City. Five years before or five after, I'm betting that will be the killer of Henrik. Five years before in 2001, so 1996 to 2006, you tell me about crimes that were committed in the Brooklyn area where a 40 caliber gun was used. Given the rarity, I think, of that caliber there, and the statistics prove that out, you probably find your killer. Or if there are zero in that area with 40 caliber, then the person who did this is some law-abiding person who just felt like killing someone that day. There's something else, though. Uh, and once again, this is something that might not stick out to somebody who is not a gun person. Seven rounds really stands out to me. Why? You have to understand that 40 caliber, once again, it's getting a little into the weeds. 40 caliber is a semi-automatic round. And hold on one second. I'll show you what I mean.
Hold on just one second. Where did, uh, I need a prop. Here it is. This is my Glock 19 9 millimeter right here. I'm not going to point it at the camera. This is a semi-automatic gun for people who don't know. Of course, a revolver is like the Old West guns that hold like five or six. This is what a semi-automatic gun looks like. Usually these guns like this gun holds, the way I have it in here is holds 17 rounds. This person only shot seven rounds, but it's obvious to me this person shot in fear. So I'm inclined to believe that the gun that he was carrying only had seven rounds in it. This is very common. Once again, if you study shootings, you'll, you'll, you'll know this. This is very common when people, you know, we all think it's like the movies and, you know, very, you know, tactical and everything else. You watch shootings that happen on security camps from 7-Elevens. It's just people just pulling triggers until all the bullets are gone. What you find out about seven rounds is that people empty their guns out of fear. This was certainly a, uh, a shooting that was done out of fear because the, he only got hit once. And so we have to figure out, did the gun only have seven bullets in it or did it only hold seven rounds? Well, a single stack 40 semi-automatic would only hold seven rounds. How about that? And so I can even get more technical on this my belief is the gun that shot him was a gun that only held seven rounds of 40 caliber in a semi-automatic gun. Once again, this even lowers the odds, you know, this really narrows down to what kind of gun it could be. So what, so I have these questions. So what kind of criminal is going to have a gun illegally? Criminals aren't supposed to have guns. And we have to, I have to add one more thing here. Now, there are, uh, maybe it jammed, GS, maybe, maybe it did jam, possible. If it's an unskilled shooter, that's a good point, GS. But what happens is that this 9mm magazine holds 17. Now, there are states that restrict this. This magazine is illegal in California. It's illegal in New York too. What they do is though they cut they they do it so only gun, only half can be filled. High capacity magazines, anything over ten rounds, is considered to be high capacity. New York, California, some other states, and it's been like that for a long time. So my guess, my guess, is that whoever had this gun had one of these um, magazines where you could only fill it to seven, so half. The magazine under normal circumstances would be able to hold 14, but because you're in that state, legally, you can only have seven. That's how they do that. They just use the same magazine, but they block off half of it so the bullets can only come down on one side. And what you're seeing are the holes here is where the bullets are. So I'm asking, so what kind of criminal is going to have a gun illegally but have a legal magazine? Or was it a law-abiding citizen? with a legal magazine who was out there maybe drunk 
maybe did re- really think that Henrik was a uh, a terrorist or something and was just winging shots at this guy. I think this I, I think this really 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 can be narrowed down just by looking at the caliber what we understand what is well known about public shootings and police study this stuff what is known about 40 caliber and it's in and it's um the commonness of it how plentiful the rounds are how plentiful the guns are i think it help you know helps or hurts but we have to look at where it happened in new york city where 40 caliber is not common at all i mean these things all really line up to, like I said, one of two things. Either this is uh, a criminal with a gun he has illegally. Of course, felons aren't supposed to have guns. and with, But with a legal magazine that only holds seven, or was this a law-abiding citizen with a legal mag? That's kind of where I am on this. I think the forty caliber, it says so much. The ca- forty caliber and 107 is a horrible shooting, but this is very common in situations where people are firing out of fear. Now, what is hard to understand, though, is why was this shooter – usually what, what is happening in your normal shooting, the reason somebody's firing out of fear is because the other person has a gun too. And you're just kind of you know popping up over the counter, winging, just pulling the trigger, pulling the trigger, pulling the trigger. This is what happens. This is the way shootings happen in real life. It's not how it happens in the movies. But if you watch a lot of security video from these things, that's what's going, that's how it goes. So why then was this person so fearful of this Henrik Siwiak guy? It's interesting. So I, I, I guess what I'm saying here is I can't rule out the idea that this shooting was not done by a criminal uh, the way we'd normally describe it. I do not think that this was you know, just some group of guys that came up on Henrik, asked him for his money, and then he ran and somebody you know shot at him and only hit him one time. I do not believe that that happened. I do not believe that happened. Now, I might believe, given that there was only... Um, one hit out of seven rounds. Could this have been a drive-by? Maybe. You know, so the car is moving. Of course, it's going to be a little harder to hit somebody when you're moving. But drive-bys, although they happen, usually the car keeps moving because the victims have guns too. Well, Henrik didn't have one. So why didn't the car stop? and allow, you know, and they knew he wasn't drawing for a gun or anything. You know, what's going on here? Um, I think that that's just how I look at it. And, you know, and, and uh, like, you know, as, as you can see, Rockford, who knows, has known about this for a lot long, and I don't even say, he's probably always going to know more about this shooting than I do. But being that he brought this up last week, I just happened to latch onto. I, I really, you do not know how surprised I was when I saw that it was 40 caliber as a gun person. How surprised I was. He got shot. Okay, what was it? 38? What was it? Of course, it had to be nine millimeter, no 40 caliber. 
Now, of course, it would have been even weirder if it was 10 millimeter or, uh, an, a, a, you know, ammunition of 357 SIG or something like that. And also what sticks out to me about 40 caliber is this is not a caliber that was ever used in the military. So we can't even think that this was some like military gun that got into civilian hands. The military went uh, from the 1911-45 caliber to the Beretta, technically the Beretta 92, uh, what do they call it, the F9, which was 9mm. They've never used 40 caliber for pistols in the military in the United States. So that's what also makes it interesting to me. So a uh, 20-year-old civilian took out a mall shooter a mile from my house last year, hit him eight out of nine times for 40 yards with a Glock 9 millimeter. That's Mark's, Mark is uh, picking up what I'm saying here. That is what skilled shooters can do. Now, I don't know if I'm, I'm – I'm actually a pretty good shot. I don't know if I'm making hit eight out of nine from nine, 40 yards unless I can really – rest my hand on a, a counter or, you know, something, you know, freestanding, man, that is something, especially with a Glock nine millimeter with a, a sight radius of only that long. I mean, that's something that's impressive. That's what this is. This is a Glock nine millimeter, uh, gen three Glock 19, uh, Magdum agreed. It could have been tracked down. Now the guns changed high to 80 times. I think it was going, uh, it was a gang reacting to nine 11 and patrolling the neighborhood. They see an outsider that, Cam, and that's that. I'm a decent shot, but I'm nowhere near that good, you know. You definitely know your firearm tech. I've never held one or seen one a person. Literally, maybe I've seen a hunting gun. Is that a rifle or what? My sister hunts with kids, husband using a bow also, yeah. Uh, 40 caliber is just a caliber. I mean, it's usually, they do make rifles that shoot 40 caliber, but it's really a handgun cartridge that was really popular, came into being in the late 1980s, and maybe early 90s and continues to exist to this day, but its heyday was in the 90s. Since then, nine millimeters uh, totally uh, taken over. And once again, I'm not here to be pro-gun, anti-gun, but I know all of you are into true crime. I know you're all into unsolved disappearances, unsolved murders and everything. And understanding guns and what happens, what happens in shootouts in real life can help you understand these kind of circumstances more. I'm not telling you to get a gun. I suggest you should, but I really don't care one way or the other. And uh, you don't have to be anti-gun, second amendment, or anything else. But if you're into true crime and you're into murders and murders committed by guns, you should take some time to learn about guns and shootings and the stats on those such things. This can maybe better help you understand something like the murder of Henrik Siwiak this will be something that will get by a lot of other people, but it won't get by you. You'll, it'll pick it out, you know? Uh, so I even thought, you know, uh, while we're on that topic, this even occurred to me with, uh, what I found unusual about, it's kind of exactly the opposite about the Zodiac killer. If you will remember, this is also, I don't know if I got into this when we talked about the Zodiac Killer a couple months ago or not. Remember, the Zodiac Killer, whoever he was, was proven to have killed that taxi driver. If you've seen the movie Zodiac, then you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be an expert on the Zodiac Killer. But he killed that taxi driver 
with a nine millimeter gun to the back of the head. Now, you may say, well, there's nothing unusual about that. You just said, Ed, that nine millimeter is very common. It was not common at the time of that shooting that happened in the late 60s into the early 70s. Nine millimeter in the United States did not become popular until the 1980s when what they call the Wonder Nine started getting made. These, these semiotic guns, semi-automatic guns that were, became reliable enough to hold a lot of bullets. You didn't have to worry about jamming or anything else. Nine millimeter in the United States did not get popular in um, till the 1980s. But here we have a murder from the early 70s. I forget what year it was. Early 70s, late 60s, where a taxi driver is killed by nine millimeter. I cannot tell you how odd that is from back then. Back then, if you were to go to a police department anywhere in the United States, they would have been carrying revolvers with 38 special or 357 Magnum revolvers. Or if they did have semi-automatics, they would have been what they call 1911 guns. The, uh, 1911 is the model. And it was 45 caliber. Of course, that's all changed. I still think about that. And once again, at the time, the military in the United States did not use 9mm. 9mm was not popular in the military until the 1980s. So it's always stuck out to me that the Zodiac killer at at least at the time had a rare gun and a rare caliber very interesting to me what does that say in contrast to probably most of the murders that were getting committed in the united states at the time there were 38 special 357 45 maybe 22 32 caliber because 9mm was just not uh, popular at the time. 9mm actually comes from Germany. And it was big in Germany. It was used in the German um, army during World War II. And only eventually did it get popular in the United States in the 1980s once gun technology kind of came to be get together with that particular caliber. It also helped that the American military eventually, you know, turned over to nine millimeter as well. But think about that. When you think about the zero Zodiac killer, the next time think about how he murdered at least one of his victims with nine millimeter. And I want you to understand how unusual that was at the time. What does that say about him? Could he have been a collector of guns? Maybe. Maybe. So there you go. Uh, that, I know that took a long time to explain, but as you can tell, I'm really into the topic. But this is, you know, this is sometimes the uh, the uh, ins and outs. These very subtle pieces of information that maybe get by a lot of people, and because you don't know something about that particular topic, it gets right by you. But it doesn't have to. And you do not have to be a gun owner. You don't have to be a gun lover or uh, you know, Second Amendment marching out in the streets, anything, to, to take an interest in this, okay? Just look at it as studying about this like you would study about anything else. Just an example. Uh, you definitely know your firearm tech. I've never had one. Okay. Uh, does seem like an inexperienced gun owner who was maybe just holding his gun for protection and got all scared for some reason. 
Mary, very possible. I'm very open to the idea that Henrik was shot by just some law-abiding citizen who lost his mind that night. Absolutely. And has never killed, killed anybody before that or after that. Certainly open to that. I think getting all caught up and it's a bad section. It must have been a gang. I think there's enough circumstantial evidence to show that it was probably something else. Rockford, how's this for an odd one? The I-70 killer used an Emma Work ET-22. It's a German Navy gun from World War II. Not only that, but he used Jeweler's Red Rouge for the casings. Case still unsolved. I'll have to look that one up, Rockford. Not familiar. World War I, not World War II. Definitely a collector. I'll have to look that one up, Rockford. I'll have to look it up. Uh, do I want to talk about anything else here? I was going to talk about maybe next week I'll get um, there's a, a principle that I eventually want to talk about on this live show that I'm calling conceivable versus possible versus probable when um, we start thinking about theories for disappearances. What is the difference between conceivable and possible? And what is the difference between possible and probable? And how do they all relate to each other because they certainly do. And you should understand, at least in the English language, conceivable and possible are not synonyms. They're not. So that might be for next week. I just got um, uh, onto uh, that. I uh, got onto the uh, Henrik Siwiak shooting and all that. Really tried to explain that to you as best as I could. Went a little long. Uh, one more thing. Uh, you probably heard about this F-35 jet that was missing. You know me. Uh, when planes go missing, I take an interest. And um, my understanding is right before I went on the air tonight that it has been found. Uh, it was not in a body of water. But it seems like it did fly by itself for a little while before it crashed. If you haven't heard, the pilot for some reason, ejected, even though it wasn't about to crash or anything. He said something catastrophic was about to happen. So that's why he ejected. But he also said that the autopilot was on at the time. So very unusual for a fighter pilot to bail from a jet when the autopilot is on. So I'm very uh, interested to hear, eventually find out if we ever do, what happened here? And then they lost the jet. They didn't know where it went. <laughs> but, and this was in South Carolina, but it does seem that uh, they did find it. it I guess it, it crashed and, and is destroyed. Maybe plane malfunction. Very well it could be, Brian. But I, I start wondering that, you know, it was on autopilot and he ejected at altitude. Um, you know, I think usually when we think about pilots ejecting from planes, it's either one of two things, either it's in like a battle that could take place 10,000 feet in the air, the plane gets shot. There's no chance of recovering it. So the guy pulls the, or woman pulls the ejector seat and bails out at 10,000 feet. Makes all the sense in the world. Cause there's no chance of saving it. On the other hand, we've seen like at air shows where a plane's about to crash because of something and the pilot ejects right before it hits the ground. Well, this was neither of those. So, very interesting. I'll be, I'll be very interested uh, to uh, hear what happened. Um, 
people usually that was weird. Uh, uh, people usually went with rifles. It's something else. My fiance would like to get one just for protection, take classes in that. I would, I just worry too much. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not here to be pro or anti gun Mary, but you know, if criminals have guns out there, which they do, then if you're not going to have a gun, then you have to start thinking about what you're going to do to protect yourself without one. Rockford, Charlotte and Mark, the dude made some serious mistakes. Don't get me wrong. His ability to get in and out was clear. Okay. I'll give him that, but he took some awfully big chances. That goes back to the I 70 killer. And Brian says, yes, that's pretty high up. Yep, it is. So that's why a lot of people have been saying we're not really understanding what's going on. So there you go. Uh, all right. Tonight, uh, I didn't. Charlotte, I want to answer your question real quickly. Most disappearances in what state? Uh, California, of course, being the most populated state, has the most disappearances. But if you're asking me what the ratio, the the state with the worst ratio, I believe it's Alaska. The most disappearances per the population, I think, is Alaska. And as far as the most common time of year, really have not, I don't know if anybody's really done a study on that, Charlotte. I suppose I could, given that I have all the dates for all the disappearances we've covered on Unfound. It's really not something that I've looked at, uh, but there's nothing that really jumps out to me. Um, you know, we've covered disappearances in December. I mean, surely we've covered a disappearance in at least every one of the months of the year, all 12 of them. So I think that's, uh, although sometimes weather can have something to do with disappearances, whether extreme heat or a snowstorm or something, they could play a role in disappearances, but I don't think anybody's really done that Charlotte. So this Friday, The disappearance of Christopher Douthat, D-O-U-T-H-A-T, from Roanoke, Virginia, on my mother's birthday, October 25th of 2013. So we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary. His mother, Mary Sink, yeah, S-I-N-K, is the guest. And I'm telling you right now, she's a character. <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> Be prepared. Like her a lot. She did a great interview. She has a very interesting uh, accent, and dare I say I had to edit a few F-bombs out of this interview. Very interesting character, Mary Sink is, like her a lot. But it's her son. He went missing from Roanoke, Virginia. He was supposed to meet a woman at a local food line, and he called her to say, yeah, I'm here. And she was, I guess, not far from picking him up. But also he said on the phone that he saw somebody in a truck that he knew and he was going to go talk to that person. But when this woman showed up to meet Chris, he was gone. Never to be seen again. So you can start looking that up. Christopher Douthat, D-O-U-T-H-A-T, Roanoke, Virginia, October 25th, 2013. His mother, Mary, will be the guest. And this will not be a two-parter. If you're wondering what's going on with that, any interview that goes over two hours now, I just make the episode into two parts. This interview is about an hour and a half, so this will just be one episode. No two-parter. So that's all I got. Uh, thank you all for listening. Got a little gun education, I guess, tonight. You never know what you're going to run into. We talked about chicken wings. We talked about guns. We talked about fasting. 
We talked about mandolins. You just never know. I hope you're getting an education. I know I am. Uh, everybody, uh, thank you so much for making time tonight. Remember, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast, or hit the join button below, and you will hear me on Friday. Good night. <laughs>